Shalom Alechem. Alechem, Shalom. How are you doing? Ah, Baruch Hashem. I'm doing good. Baruch Hashem. So, want to welcome everybody to the pretty much still in Hukat, headed into Balak. Um, Parsha, get you some. I have titled this. Who got you some? <laughs> hopefully on Shabbat who caught you got you some. Um, lots of illumination, lots of sources and things that have been dropped. So wanted to get together with each Pela, catch up on some Tehillim, and I'm pretty sure you found some other amazing stuff. So, you know, let's go ahead and go with the opening Braca and Fly away. Would you like to do the parasha bracha or the tehillim bracha? Let's do the parasha bracha. All right. Baruch Hashem. Baruch no tain Torah. Amen. Amen. Gruchmo. Gruch. All right, what you got? Oh, man. <laughs> Says, so I am going to start with. This from the Baal HaTorum. All right. This is uh, 19.9. Asaf. He shall gather, meaning... Uh, let me go down to nine. A pure man shall gather. This is the verse. I'm going to read the verse first. It says, a pure man shall gather the ash of the cow and place it outside the camp in a pure place. It shall be for the assembly of Israel as a safekeeping of, for water of sprinkling. It is for purification. It says the word ve'asaf, which is spelled vav, aleph, samich, pe, sofit, says he shall gather. The Masoretic note means that this word appears three times in the Tanakh. Here, a pure man shall gather and they asaf ha metzor, and the metzora shall gather. Second Kings five eleven, and he will gather the castaways of Israel. The asaf nedachai Israel, and he will gather the castaways of Israel. Yeshayahu eleven twelve. Mm. Which we all know is a messianic or Mashiach uh, chapter. The similarity of the expression here and in Kings alludes to the Talmudic statement, and Metzora is likened to a corpse. Moreover, just as the ashes of the red, car, red cow impart purity, so too the prayers of the righteous impart purity. And similarly, of the expression of three verses also alludes to the time of Mashiach. 
and he will gather the castaways of Israel in the future, at which time the Metzorah shall gather, i.e. will be cursed, as it is written, then the lame man will skip like a gazelle, Isaiah 35, 6, and at that time they will no longer need the ashes of the red cow, as it is written, he will have swallowed up death forever, Isaiah 5, 8. But you know, it's not about Shiak. Don't worry about that. I mean, you know, Isaiah's talking about something else. Yeah, that totally sounds like a passage about Israel. <laughs> but wait, Israel's the name of Mashiach, so never mind. Yeah. Yeah, you can't do that no more. <laughs> well, Baruch Hashem, uh, I would like to tag and agree. Come on. Same verse. From the OG Ankylos. Oh, snap. Now, he's saying that uh, it is a chatat. So, this is the end of the verse. So, if you look at Pasuk uh, Tet, Tet, at the end it says chatat, who? Chatat he. Chatat he literally means like. It's a uh, sin offering. And, yeah. it's, and it's using the feminine. So it's almost as if it's like a sin offering of the spirit or a sin offering of the Shekinah. Mm. And that's what they're calling the red heifer. And in the uh, Parashadrash, who caught time for that, um, I broke down that para aduma literally means hapur ha adam, like the covering or the atonement or the lot of the man. Mm. And we remember that Mashiach Yeshua is the manifestation of the Shekinah. And so it's like the Shekinah is like a feminine aspect, but yet Mashiach is like the man. So that's kind of interesting as the backdrop to this commentary that OG brings down. He says that Chatat, as indicated in the commentary from verse 2, it says, although the Torah calls the red heifer ceremony a Chatat, it is totally different from the Chatat, as we see in Vayikra 4. Rashi states that the Chatat here denotes purifying. The plain meaning of the word, Sifri and Babylonian Talmud Menachot 51b, state that the Bible calls the red heifer ceremony a Chatat because it is like the Chatat offering and other holy objects. So now it's calling this offering not only an offering of itself, but it's also calling it like the furnishings. So it's kind of like the offering and the furnishings are all together in this offering. But here's one of the verses, here's the verse that really got, or the statement that really got me. It says the pseudo Yonatan understands chatat to mean 
that the red heifer is an atonement for the wrong behavior with the golden calf, since both involve calves. The word reappears in verse 12 where it means sprinkle because of the context. So as I'm looking at this, I'm looking at how the chatat is a sin offering and it's a guilt offering all about making atonement. And it's the manifestation of the Shekinah literally being offered up in order for all that to happen. Wow. Good night. So tag and I agree. Cool. Because then you fast forward to verse twenty or to chapter twenty, verse one. Right. Says this is Baha Torah commentary on in the first month. It says the Torah juxtaposes this with the passage concerning the red cow. Because it was in the first month, i.e. Nissan, that the cow was burnt. Oh, what? I'm not going to stop there, though, because it says, additionally, it is in accordance with that which our sages of blessed memory have expounded. The death of the righteous provides atonement, just as does the red cow. Indeed. The Gematria of Pada Aduma Red Cow 341 is equivalent to that of Me Mi Kapur. It atones. And similarly, in our verse, the Tamat Sham Miriam, the T. Karov Sham. Miriam died there and she was buried there. The gematria of Sham 340 is equal to that of Mikapur. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So just went down. So basically you're saying she was offered just like the Para Aduma is offered for atonement. So her death brings atonement. Just like this offering was brought forth in Nisan. And so when we're looking at the bigger picture, Mashiach being offered in Nisan as a red heifer, and he's the rock of Miriam, he's offered in the first month, and he's bringing atonement. Yes. That <laughs> right there is, is crazy. Because see, the, the thing is, too, as you were doing the Ivrit, I was looking at this word, Vetik Bear, or Vetikvar. Vetikvar. Yeah, Vetikvar. That's the word that's used for Yaakov talking to Yosef about burying him in Israel. So the fact that she is buried outside the land and affecting atonement, I mean, that's pretty crazy, especially with the parallel and correlation to the power Aduma, which is offered outside the temple precinct. So if you kind of do this little X pattern of 
compare and contrast that's going on, Yaakov didn't want to be buried outside the land because he would bring atonement to Mitzrayim. Right. So Miriam being buried here is affecting atonement even outside the precincts of the land. So we're kind of seeing this this uh, idea of how even if the atonement is made, you know, outside the precincts, it's still a valid offering. Because the point is brought up, well, I haven't heard it, but I'm pretty sure Google jockeys bring this up, that Mashiach Yeshua wasn't offered in the temple courtyard. Right. And it's like, that's cool. Because neither was the red heifer and neither was Miriam or Moshe or Aharon. Like, it's cool. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing I think is interesting is the footnote on this says the death of Miriam occurred in their 40th year in the wilderness. And that Miriam's death took place on the 10th of Nisan. No. 580. What was the source on that? Well, the, 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 actually, there's two sources on this. So it's the Baha Torum is, is citing this. So you, I don't, I, the footnote is, is quoting Baha Tor. And then Orchachim 580. Orachim. Orachim 580. I guess that's a different than Orachim. It's different from Orachim, yes. So the reason I had to repeat that is because you realize that the 10th of Nisan is around Shabbat Hagadol. Mm -hmm. So the end of Miriam was Shabbat Hagadol. And when Mashiach came in to Yerushalayim, it was near Shabbat Hagadol. Ultimately, with a few days later, with the onset of Arab Pesach, he was literally offered up on the crucifixion stake. Right. What makes you what, what and it kind of makes you wonder is when uh, when did Moshe find the rock for it to, to pull out water? You know. Right. Because, I mean, we go right from the incident with Miriam, and then we go into the people complaining. Yep. And I can't see from the text that it gives us any uh, indication. Of... Uh, no, there's no indication, but, I mean, I guess we can have a an educated guess, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It only follow. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm just thinking, like, Hashem only follows the, uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun kind of thing. Nothing new under the sun. Man, yeah. so uh, I don't see anything. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything either. Because sometimes you can look at uh, different words to allude to a time lapse with uh, like the different words that are used at the beginning of the verses. 
So right after Miriam, we just see Velohaya Mayim. And then La Eda. La Eda. Which, by the way, that word uh, is actually yeah. the word for kahal, which is commonly translated as church. <laughs> so, just for some, some little uh, fundamentals, that there is no such thing as a church. And if there ever was, it really is the congregation of Israel in the wilderness. But really, when you think about the word kahal, it has nothing to do with the common idea of a church, you know, because many times it is said, you know, that the church is not the building, it's the people. And it's like, boy, if you knew how close that was to actual truth, like that's incredible. Because the kahal is really all about the assembly. This is why the letters that were written are two specific assemblies. And that's why it's always called like letter to the church of blah, 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 letter to the church of blah, blah, blah. If you read the Brit Hadashah, but really it is the Igaret, which is the Hebrew for letter. And how do we know that? Because Hasidut Hasidic Judaism is full of letters from the different rabbis and uh, Talmudim, Chachamim from uh, throughout the centuries. So they wrote letters uh, to encourage believers who were following Torah and things like that. And so if we look at the Brit Hadashah, that's not a new thing that there are these random letters. So. But the whole point is, I just wanted to bring up that Kahal is about the assembly of the people, the gathering of the people. Which Targum apparently uh, did a little commentary on that. I'm trying to see where it is here. Uh, looks like it says... assembly well they don't really go into too much detail but they just basically talk about the complaints so basically from what I'm seeing with that comment talking about the complainers were not punished because of their complaints as they were at all other times because this time their complaint was justified and that's from Chis Kunin now, with that being said, we have a upright, unified voice of the people, which is why I believe that the word kahal, which just so happens to rearrange to hakol, which is the voice. Right, man. Because so, you can't be a part of the assembly if you're not listening to the voice. Exactly. So, the more you know... Abraham's descendants blessed because you have listened to my voice. That's right. Amen. Amen. Uh, I would love to see what this 
comment about the staff is uh, going to go into, if I if I may. Go for it. So I'm just going to read this. I'm not sure where it's going to go. I just see take the staff from uh, Bami Bar 20, verse 8, and I got really excited because, you know, that's one of the interesting parts to this parasha is that this specific time, the rock was not supposed to be struck, but he was told to take the staff. And between all the different commentaries, it's either Aharon's staff or it's Moshe's staff. It's either the wooden staff that blossomed almond buds, or it is the sapphire staff that struck the first rock. So I'm just going to read and see what this is all about. It says, did God require Moshe to communicate with an inanimate stone? That's a good one. That's a get you some drop right there. Right after your whole drop after this about that, I'm just about to smack everybody in the face right now. But go ahead, please. All right. So you just prepare yourself. All right. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. So why did God instruct Moshe to take the staff? Whose staff was it? What did Moshe do wrong? What did Aharon do wrong? Okay, I love how they just already go into all that. So, I'm going to break it down. It says, one, Rashbam takes the story literally. God told Moshe to speak to the rock. He disobeyed, struck the rock, and was punished. Moshe took Aharon's staff that was mentioned in Bamibar 1725, which was used there as a symbol that God was directing the people that they should not rebel. Now, that is pun in its finest view right here because the staff that he chose was all about do not rebel, but yet he called the people rebels while he was rebelling against Hashem. Right. Man, okay. So, I get it. I get it. So, number two, Sadia and Nachmanides reject the notion that God expected Moshe to perform the unnatural act of speaking to an inanimate rock. They explain to, to as speak to the people concerning the rock. So now he's illuminating that as Moshe is speaking to the rock, it's really to the people. So it says our translator curiously changes the scriptures to, and it changes it to with. Okay. And then it says in a seemingly unthinking automatic reflex translation, that's a big bunch of words. As he generally does, <laughs> it says, to follows speak. Okay, so between these two here, they're saying really it's to speak to the people. The staff is to speak to the people as he's speaking to the rock. Mm. So it's kind of like bringing the people and the rock into this unified uh, voice, which would be back to our Hakol Kahal. Okay, so that's number two. Number three, it says that 
the Ibn Kaspi suggests that the staff was Moshe's scepter. Okay, because you know how the scepter will not depart from Yehuda. So it's like this is the law in his hands, basically. So then it says that God told Moshe to appear before the people in his regal garb, including the scepter, the rod to impress the people that he was their leader. So if you synthesize that point, he's now saying the king of Israel as the one who's going to go to the rock and bring forth water, which I like thinking about that with this commentary that's laid down because there's water that flows from beneath the throne of Hashem. And so if we think about a king on his throne bringing forth that water, we have that picture here from this commentary. Number four, he's Kunim. Uh, replies on the Babylonian Talmud Ta'anit 9a identifies the rock which the Bible describes the specific definite article the as the well of Miriam which flowed during Miriam's lifetime but ceased upon her death God now tells Moshe to persuade the well to resume flowing okay then the next one Ibn Ezra said, argues instead that the rock was the prominent stone that was chose or Slika that was close to the Israelites encampment. Um, see here if I can kind of summarize this up. This is just kind of keeps going. Uh, it says that uh, Ibn Ezra responds and says its waters does not refer to the past water that is already in the rock, but future water that will gush out. So if you think about that, Mashiach talks about the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh after the power is received from Shabbat with the Talmudim in the upper room after his ascension. So this water that's coming forth, this is like the outpouring of the spirit after his death and resurrection. Because it's talking about future water. It's not water that was already in the rock. There's new water in this rock now. So that's kind of crazy. And... Just scan real quickly to see if there's anything else to glean from that. Oh, okay, I got to say this one. All right, so they stopped numbering after eight. So this is a part of uh, the eighth of nine of viewpoints. And they're saying, why was Moshe told to speak to the people before he struck the rock. This was to inform them that they were about to see that God was producing the water. So this whole time, this rock is traveling and bringing forth water in the wilderness. Water is coming from the rock, but it's Hashem bringing forth the water. And that definitely connects to Mashiach's words when he says, 
that apart from my father, I can do nothing. And it's like, there's this whole idea of the vessel, you know, and it's just like, everything that comes from a Shiak is what comes from a Shem. And it's just like, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago at Yeshiva about how, you know, there's this adapter that's needed to bring the spiritual into the physical. And when you're trying to bring forth like manifestations of a Shem, you got to have a proper adapter that can bring that out. And that adapter needs to be completely something that's pure, unblemished, something that's super close with a Shem, because it can't just be any adapter. You know, it's got to be completely pure, completely refined, just like the red heifer can have nothing but completely red to it, you know? And so through Mashiach, all of this heavenly water is coming forth. And it's like, it looked like it was coming from the rock, but really it's coming from Hashem. So it's like, wherever this rock is, that's where Hashem is because that's where the water is going to come. So we really have to be mindful of the one that we call Mashiach. We really have to be mindful of our drinking source that we want to drink from where Hashem is so that we're actually getting like nourishment and like the deep waters of Torah. Okay, that's the end of my tag. Your turn. Wow. That is just a whole lot of get you some. <laughs> but this says here, I agree, by the way. Tag and I agree. All right. Love it. It was beautiful. This is Baha Torm commenting on Pani Ha Sela. Oh. Before, literally, this is his commentary, before, literally at the face of the rock. Wow. The letter pay of Pani is doubled. This teaches that all of Israel, Kol Klau Israel, were present upon the face of the rock, standing together, pay, el pay, face to face. Thus, this is one of the places where a small place held a great amount. Now, before you go crazy. Too late. I've already went crazy. Okay. You can't just do that. That's just uncalled for. You need to talk to your homeboy Baha Torm over here. Yeah, we gonna find him. Wow, did you really just say that? Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah. Okay, keep going. I just yeah. There's more. There's more. This is the footnote on the letter pay of Pani is doubled. Like, what do they mean when they say doubled? Like, what does that even mean? It says the footnote. This is Baha Torm. 20 verse 10 footnote 57 among the unusual forms used for, for specific letters in the Torah is the doubled pay which is also known as the rolled pay unlike the usual pay which is drawn as a yud hanging from the roof of a kaf this unusual pay has a miniature pay in place of a yud Thus, the pay 
of Pani in our verse is described in Sefer Tagin as one of 191 in the Torah whose mouths are on the inside. So, and they even got a little picture here. And it's basically, if if you can fathom what a pay looks like, it's a pay inside of a pay because it kind of just keeps going like a little, like dizzy circle, like just infinite kind of going on there. Maybe that's why it was called Hasela. But wow, yeah. So you have an infinite face here, like the presence of one who is infinite is being struck. Yeah, but it's the miniature pay. Yeah, like there's a miniature mini- presence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Zeron Peen or Memted or Yeshua. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A pay inside a pay. Yep. And then there's the whole thing that Israel were all standing together face to face. Yes. On the Because, you know, I was thinking about that with when Mashiach was being punched and kicked and, you know, prophesied to us who hit you, you know, like. There was a whole kahal standing there. You know, and it's just like, you know, there's this spectacle going on. When, By the way, people should have been getting ready for Pesach. And like, this is what's going on. It's just like priorities much. But um, (laughs) all that to say, I mean, people were standing around as Yeshua HaMashiach was being whipped and mocked and punched and paraded to the crucifixion site. You know, so the same picture that's painted here in Parsha Hukat, chapter 20, it already lays a crazy, amazing precedent for the crucifixion story or the Ah. account. Because it's not a story; it really happened. So much so that the the that uh, Midrash Tanhuma nine says that Moshe and, and Aharon gathered the congregation at the face of the rock. Uh, teaches that each and every one saw himself standing upon the face of the rock. Similarly, it is the same ver, ver, uh, verbiage stated: gather the entire assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting in Leviticus eight three. Wow. Like it's, it's it's the same wording. So the face of the rock is like being at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Mm-hmm. It's it's the same type of gathering, like you know how they all gathered and we're, we're fitting inside the the tabernacle. Like this is the same kind of gathering that was happening upon the rock. That's what I'm getting at. So it's again, if we're keeping with this theme, which we're not really trying to, but it's happening. So. But being (laughs) outside of the temple precincts, this is still the only place that we're seeing the miraculousness that happens at the temple is happening over here with this rock. So just like if you were at the entrance of the tent, you're still having all of the space miracles 
you're still experiencing the being before Hashem when you're standing on the face of the rock. Oh my goodness. Like, that's just insane right now. You know, I think about I think about how if you want to even get more matrix crazy, I'm just reading the footnotes. They're like just going on forever. <laughs> but it says the word panim means face. It's construct form. Pan, pani means the face of the, and then they add in the unusual double form of the letter pay here, or according to the other version, the gematria of the word pani in our verse indicates that each Israelite's face appeared to be doubled and redoubled for each one stood face to face with every other one as if he were facing in all directions at the same time. Oh, you got to stop that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I, I really don't even know what's, what's happening right now. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to picture all this in my head. And I'm, like, I'm just blue screening, man. You know, just, like, okay, so, like, with the chariot of the divine, like, the holy Markaba that has the four coyotes surrounding it, like, Hashem's throne, like, mobile, like, on the go, that we see in Yehezekiel chapter 1, talks about all these faces, talks about all these eyes, and how this, this whole unit is moving you know, all in different directions without turning. So now what we're seeing here is a miniature version of the Merkava. This is the second Merkava. And where did we learn about the second Merkava in the Torah portions as a precedent? Nope. Parsha Bereshit. Not Parsha Bereshit, but it's in Bereshit. Parsha Miketz, when Yosef was elevated to second in command only by separation of the throne to Paro. And it says that Yosef followed behind Paro in a second chariot, a second Merkava. So now we're looking at you know, the throne of Hashem is in the Kadosh Kadoshim, like the Holy of Holies. But then when you're at this rock, you're in a miniature temple, second chariot, second throne, if you will. Like we're, we're seeing the whole picture of Hashem and his Mashiach with the Mishkan and the rock. And it's just like, you're seeing like all everything that happens on a large scale is happening right here at this rock, literally upon his face. And you think about how with Mashiach, he says something greater than the temple is here. Right. Yes, man. I've, I've been like reading that for like the past couple of weeks, man. Get you some. Yeah. So you so when you really synthesize and put all that together. You know, all right, so just because this flashed into my head, Parsha Vayakel uh, from Shemot, Stav Sodat was looking in the Midrash Rabbah for that Torah portion. 
And it opens up with saying that there are two Mishkans. And just because I feel like that is so crazy, I want to go ahead and source that out and, and just kind of share that drop because that right there is another uh, remez for what we're looking at with this rock. Okay, so it's Midrash Rabbah uh, Shemot 48.7. Uh, these are the reckonings of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of testimony. Mishkan Ha'edut is the phrase. And it says, the Midrash now expounds the verse as alluding to two different tabernacles. The tabernacle in which the sacrifices were offered on the altar and the tabernacle of testimony. What is the tabernacle of testimony? This refers to the Torah in which Yisrael toils. God said in the merit of the Torah that you study and in the merit of the offerings that you offer, I will save you from Gehenna. Mm. Wow. Now, the pay inside the pay. Let's go back to that. Here's the footnote. The tabernacle housed the holy ark, which contained the tablets and a sefer Torah. And the Torah is referred to as a testimony. The phrase tabernacle of testimony accordingly means the tabernacle of the Torah and thus refers to Torah study. So here's the thing. Even though there are two Mishkans, the second Mishkan is inside the first Mishkan, literally in the Holy of Holies, which is where it says that Hashem chose to rest his Shekinah. The fullness of Hashem rests in the Holy of Holies, which is where the Tabernacle of Testimony is, which is the second Mishkan. So if we look at this rock with the pay inside the pay, this is the the basically what's inside the Holy of Holies is right here at this rock. Yeah. So we have Hashem's Shekinah, his presence, everything that goes on in the temple, it's all right here. So this is why when we have the temple destroyed today and lying in ruins, and praying that Hashem rebuilds it speedily and soon in our days. It's because it's like we're missing the housing for the tabernacle that is the tabernacle of testimony. Like the son of man has no place to lay his head. And so even though that is the case, we still have a tabernacle, have a mishkan that we get to enter into even outside the land. Namely, at the gates of Rome. Because that's where Mashiach is. That's where the rock is right now. So, we can still bring our offerings, still bring in converts, still gather in as a kahal to the voice of Hashem 
by staying near the rock. Wow. Good, you know, oh, I always used to think it's just kind of like we believe God, but we follow Mashiach Yeshua. You know, like that seems so like crazy to me, but it's like it's not crazy at all. You're inside the one who is inside Hashem. You know, that's really what it boils down to. <laughs> The next commentary I have from the Baha Torum. Mm-hmm. He says, and he struck the rock. He struck one rock, and all the rocks in the wilderness split. As the verse states, he split rocks in the wilderness. Psalm what? Psalm 78 15. Oh my word. Seriously? Yeah. Man. <sighs> oh, and then the footnote, this is this is this is the statement to which Shiach says, um, come to me and, and you know and drink, you know. And I'll make I'll make the, his belly like rivers of flowing water, right? Right. Oh, this is, this is the precedent for that right here. The footnote says, "Bami Bar Rabba, nineteen Each and every rock and stone in that area gave forth water, as it is stated. He split rocks in the wilderness. Note that our verse uses the singular form of Hasela, rock, while the verse from Psalm uses Zorim. The plural form of Zur, a synonym for Selah, nevertheless, they refer to the same incidents alluded to by the Melui of HaSelah, which is equivalent, which has a Gematria 339, equivalent by the principle of Im HaKolael to 340, the Gematria of Zurim. So, Zuri being my rock. Well, I'm, what I'm what I'm getting for this Zur being a synonym for Selah, why is it a synonym? Because you're emulating you're emulating the ways of D Rock. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so each Pela just need to let you know that there have been reports that you just need to stop it and get some help. <laughs> I mean, wow. Like, seriously, the whole thing about Mashiach and then the little Mashiachs, namely the big dove and the little dove, or, you know, Yisrael and Yisrael being Mashiach Yeshua and the congregation of Yisrael, like, that's all right there. So, no wonder that we overflow living rivers of living water is because he does. And that's why he says, if you place your trust in me, which I really want to go look that word up now, because basically what it's showing us is that there's this synchronization that happens. 
so that if he's bringing forth water, we should be bringing forth water. If he's going through suffering, we're going through suffering. Like, dude. If he gets struck, we get struck. Yeah. Wow. Man. <laughs> Good night. I mean, why not? I mean, he's he's the bride, right? We're supposed to be his bride. Your bride is an image of the bridegroom. It's a mirror, so. Because the two shall become one. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so. Yokanon 737. I wish I had some Delish Gospels over here. That would be kind of legit. But that's okay. If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. And it says, the one believing on me. Now, that's interesting because we've been talking about on the face. And it literally uses, if you look at, oh, my goodness. It's all Stand about, huh? The interlinear? Yes. I'm, uh, I just clicked on the word for on. And it basically is using the same terminology that is using for what's happening um, here in this verse, verse 10, where it says, El Pane Hasalah. It's Pane, basically? No, the word before Pane, the preposition, which is like oh. to or with or on. Le, okay, le. So now we have, it says literally into, like a motion into, or it's like a union. And it says, is it going to give any Hebrew? Let's see. I was not intending to go into this word, but good night. Can't help it. Come on. There's a lot of information, just there's a lot of definitions on this thing. Context and the different uses. Uh, it says it's used in the Septuagint. For Bereshit, 1919. And it is. Uh, let's see. Let's read the. 1919. Has something to do with Abraham. That's very interesting. Now, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And in your sight. The king, King Ashveros. Oh, wow. Wow. So they have it going uh, for the word be, like in. Right. Okay. So. 
Back to your reg- regularly scheduled programming, <laughs> Yokanon seven thirty-eight. Uh, it says so. The word believing is the word pisteu, and that word translates. You ready for this? Ready. Translates into he emin. Like as in Ne'eman or Ha'amein. So the word basically is Emuna. Emuna, yeah. That's what, okay, that's what I was thinking. That's what, was, that's what it sounded like to me. Like El Melek, Ne'eman, uh, God trust with the king, right? That's right. So the beautiful thing about that is that shows because I don't know if, if if everyone understands the full spectrum of Emuna. Emuna is not just about believing; it's all it's about doing as well. Like it's literally faith-filled faithfulness, which implies that the doing that you are literally doing is emulative or imitation like doing in other words be imitators of god so if you have a muna in yeshua that means you're going to do the same things that he does as well as believe the same things that he does which means that if he's going to bring forth water which is only hashem bringing forth water that means our water source is going to come from Hashem, just like his water source comes from Hashem, because we're doing the same things and we're believing and placing our trust in the same thing. And I can't help but to go back to Hakahal or Hakol, the assembly that's listening to one voice. You know, the reason why you can be unified and together on the same page is because you have the same conduit going on. So, distill all that down into a simple Peshat comment. He's basically saying, if you yourself will come to me, And if you drink from the water that I'm given, which is the water from Hashem, you're going to give the same water the same way. And it's going to be the same, like, the outflow. You know, like, we're all to bring the message of redemption to the world, to the nation. So this whole idea of is it Mashiach or is it Israel? The answer is yes. You know, like we're we're supposed to be pouring ourselves out exactly like the big rock. But the key is, is have we made ourselves small? Have we made ourselves humble so that we can fit onto the face of the big rock? So you can't tell if it's us or if it's Mashiach. That's where we have to get. Wow. Because with Mashiach, you can't tell if it's him 
or if it's a shim. Right. Well, then, then just go back to, you know, if you picture the first exodus when they, then they, the power shot where they finally do come out, uh, the splitting of the sea, they come out on the other side. It was until after that that they believed in Hashem and they believed in Moshe, his servants. Oh. Like, was 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 one and I, and I say that because this week for the Tehillim of Hukats come on is Psalm 95 which opens the first word the first verse of this 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 uh Tehillim is come let us sing to God. Let us raise our voices in jubilation to the rock of our salvation. Or, wow. Sur Yishienu. You know what song I'm thinking about? Lakuna the first two verses are, are actually the first three verses are from that song. They cut Man. Wow. Man. Yeah. That's the Tehillim for Parasha Hukat. This is the Tehillim for Parasha Hukat. The rock. So, really, what I'm seeing now, I, I just saw this. So, the Tehillims are from David, and they are literally songs of the Mashiach. Yes. So, when yes. you are entering into Parsha Hukat, the song that's being sang by the Mashiach is that you need to come to Hashem, to the rock of our salvation. And then the word hukat is also related to the word for pierced. And then we see in this parasha that the word for uh, the striking of the rock, it brings out this picture of a pierced one who, who outflows blood and water. And so literally... The crucifixion of Mashiach is like Parsha Hukat and Tehillim 95, like all sandwiched into one. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. And this is how you come to Hashem, and, and Mashiach says, no man can come to the Father except through the Son. Right. And it says, he is the great God above all heavenly beings in his hands are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are his. The sea is his for he established it. His hands form the dry land. Come, let us prostrate ourselves and bow down. Let us bend the knee before God who established us. And if it's kind of interesting too, because while I'm reading the Psalm, I just like, it seems like the last couple parashas, like the Tehillim or the parasha itself, has something to do with the Matovu. Because if you read this verse, 
it's not the exact same verbiage in the Hebrew, but it basically says the same thing in the Matovu. It says, I shall prostrate myself and bow. I shall kneel before Hashem, my maker. Oh, and goodness. Next, in, in Balak, we actually have the beginning part of the Matovu itself. It actually comes from, from Balaam's lips. That's true. Definitely is something, in <laughs> yeah, so there's definitely something going on in these part in these parshiot uh, right now where it's talking about Matovu um, dwelling in the tents of Yaakov. Um, you know, you actually you actually said beautifully today that you know how do you even come into the tents of Yaakov? You have to make teshuva, mm. and so really. Really, isn't that what it's all about? It's all about Teshuvah, right? I mean, um, that's right. Because it goes on to say, for he is our God, and we are the people whom he tends, the flock under his guiding hand. Even this very day, if you would but hearken to his voice, Aww. do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Masa in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me. They tried me. Though they had seen my deeds for 40 years, I quarreled with that generation. And I said, they are people of erring hearts and they do not know my ways. I vowed in my anger that they would not enter my resting place, the land of Israel. Wow. There's a, there's a ton of commentary on all, all that. Yes. And I'm going to tag right into one. Because I agree. So on verse seven, for he is our God, that whole section. Yes. So we're talking about Teshuva. It says, God said to Israel, I have a set time for the redemption. Whether or not you repent, the redemption will come in its time. But if you repent, even for one day, I will bring the redemption before its time. As it is written, even this very day, if you would but hearken to his voice, Shemot Rabbah 2512, insert words of Mashiach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So yeah, that... That's what we need to do. I mean, really, that's what's that's the missing link right now with all of Israel, with all of us, is that that teshuva as a kahal. Yes. If you go on to read, and so I just want to go to the to the title about at the gates of Rome. Oh, thank you, because that was the other thing I saw, and I was like, ah. Yeah, I got, I got to share this because this is actually one of my one of my uh, favorite things about understanding Mashiach, the role of Mashiach. Uh, why why is it you know why is there a blindfold? Obviously, you know the Christians can't see that he's Jewish, and the the, the Jews can't see that he's Mashiach. You know, whatever, what have you. If if you understand if you under if, if you can't understand that you because you need to understand this 
and that is that Mashiach sits at the gates of Rome. What does that mean, and what am I talking about? If if you've never heard it, you about to. <laughs> you about to hear it right now, yeah. Sanhedrin 98A. Yes. So, Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi once encountered Eliyahu, or Elijah, the prophet, at the entrance of the cave in which Rabbi Shimon, Shimon ben Yochai had lived. That's he the asked, writer of the asked, Zohar. Yes. He asked <laughs> Elijah to tell him when Mashiach would come. Elijah directed him to ask Mashiach himself who could be found at the gates of Rome. Elijah explained that among the leprous paupers seated there, one was unique. While the other paupers remove all their bandages at once, cleanse all their wounds, and then reapply their bandages, one pauper, Mashiach, cleans and bandages one wound at a time. When the time comes for Mashiach to fulfill his mission, he wants to be able to do so without delay. Rabbi Yehoshua went to the gates of Rome, identified Mashiach, and said, Peace be upon you, my master and teacher. Mashiach replied, Peace be upon you. Or he said, Alekum shalom. Shalom alekum. Ben of Levi. Rabbi Yehoshua asked, When will the master arrive? Today, Mashiach replied. When the day passed, no sign of Mashiach, with no sign of Mashiach, rather, Rabbi Yehoshua disappointed disappointed, returned to Elijah and said, apparently Mashiach lied to me and said, today he has not come. Elijah replied, replied by quoting the present verse, even this very day, if you would but hearken to his voice. Sanhedrin 98a says, and the Hasidu goes on to explain, the discussion between Mashiach, Rabbi Yehoshua, and Elijah is puzzling. Why did Mashiach answer today without informing Rabbi Yehoshua of the stipulation that we must hearken to his voice? Mm. If Mashiach had spoken clearly, the confusion could have been entirely avoided. Furthermore, why does the verse first make a promise this very day and then retract it by qualifying it if you would hearken to his voice? Mm. For the sake of clarity, the psalmist should state the demands followed by the reward. The frankness of Mashiach's answer and the verses promise that Mashiach will come today indicate how natural and inevitable the coming of Mashiach is. The Messianic age is not an otherworldly dream, nor is it a radical, unattainable advancement of this world. On the contrary, the Messianic age is the ultimate realization of the true nature of this world woven into the fabric of creation is the potential for a perfect, harmonious world, the world of Mashiach Yeshua. I'm just adding that in there. But of course, because it says Mashiach is should have a little space there. Yeah. The sages saw this in the Torah's account of creation prior to the first utterance of creation. The verse states the spirit of God hovered over the waters. This spirit of God, the sages taught, is the spirit of Mashiach. God's vision of the Messianic era is the foundation of creation, and his coming is inevitable. It's going to happen. Once faced with the reality that Mashiach has yet to arrive, we are forced to find the cause. What is preventing the accepted natural coming of Mashiach? Obviously, our service of God is wanting. That is why the stipulation is offered as an afterthought. 
But what we derive from this story is encouraging. We are not being asked to invent a new world, only to reveal the soul of the world we already have. And it says in the footnote down here at the bottom, it says, the above explains why Eliyahu sent Rabbi Yehoshua to Mashiach. Surely he could have also responded today. The answer is that the one who can say today without qualification is Mashiach the one who embodies the redemption and for, for whom each day really is the day of redemption. Dude. Like, I have no more face left. Like, Maror face, losing my mind, jumping out the window, dumping water on my head. Like, what just happened? Yeah, and the other thing is like uh, this is also a Tehillim for Kabbalat Shabbat. It's actually the first one we read of do the Kabbalat Shabbat. There's a whole thing about, uh, in here. Uh, it's beautiful about the guy who who began the resuscitation of these Psalms, Psalm 95 through 99. But it says in a nutshell, he did this because these 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 Psalms all speak of the 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 millennium, the seventh millennium, which will be a Shabbat. So that's why we say Kabbalah Shabbat on Shabbat, you know, because it's talking about the Messianic age. But that's ultimately the that's the that's the six one sixtieth percent of uh, you know what we receive on Shabbat. Not to take away from Shabbat, but you know, we're talking well, about. The it is the only way we can experience the Olam Haba without being in the Olam Haba. Right. And now, so with you saying that, I just want to bring a little bit more fundamental teaching to everyone that when you hear Kabbalat Shabbat, that phrase literally means receiving the Shabbat. So you receive the Shabbat just like you receive the coming of Mashiach. So that's just uh, very, very crazy because in order for you to see receive the coming of Mashiach, you have to be hearing the voice of Hashem. And the only way you can hear the voice of Hashem is to be walking in Teshuvah. So I just wanted to uh, bring that point out because with the guy coming up with these Tehillim as the precursor to the Arab Shabbat table, I mean, that's powerful. To anticipate the coming of Mashiach as you're entering into Shabbat. All right. And, and here's the thing, here's the thing, because I think the last comment of this Tehillim is what resonates with me. Uh, the last two, I should say. But it says, um, this is rejecting the decree. It says, uh, they do not know my ways, I vowed in my anger. This, the mistake of the generation of the Exodus was not only to anger God, but 
to accept his decree that they would remain in the desert. God therefore says to us, do not be like those who did not know my ways, for I vowed only in my anger, had they repented and beseeched me with all their might, I would have forgiven them. You too should do so. You too should do so, is what this says. That we should do so as well. We. And I will expedite the redemption if you are meritorious. And so it's just like, like, we need not to make the mistake of the generation of, of the people of the Exodus. Like, you, it's, it's funny, you know, you, the further you get away from Mount Sinai, the further, the further we are as a generation um, in, our, in our stature. But I would, add, I would also add to that, that that is our, that could be our greatness. I mean, because we can expedite the redemption. We, we sincerely need to make Teshuva. And that's really where the greatness is, you know, because Mashiach says the greatest among you is your, your servant, you know, and those who are the least of these, that's as if you're ministering to Yeshua HaMashiach himself, you know, because the whole thing of, you know, when did we visit you? When did we clothe you? You know, and he's like, if you did it to the least of these, you know, so the whole idea of us being the generation of Mashiach is because we're the least and we should continue to make ourselves the least so that we can embody as this says, that we need to embody today hearing his voice. Like, really? <laughs> check and check this out for for everybody, because you know I I've I'm under the opinion that the people who died in the in the desert are. I have I have I've just found the source, just read a source right now that that supports my opinion, but. Mm. Uh, under the opinion that the people that, that were buried in the desert will walk into the Alam Haba. Why do I say that? Because this says, this is Vaikra Rabbah 32.2. God says, in the eyes of the people, I am angry, but not in my eyes, as it is written, I vowed in my anger. When a vow is taken in anger, it can be annulled. God therefore made this oath in what appeared to be angered so that it can be annulled. So he's talking about I vowed in my anger that they would not enter my resting place. So that so, they can be annulled? So that they can be annulled. It says, it says though they would not merit entering into Israel at that time, they would merit God's future resting place in the world to come. Just as the king's future palace was not in, included in his initial vow, so too God's future temple was not included in his vow. According to Al-Sheikh, the entire psalm speaks of Moses' generation, or i.e. us, if that's what you want to look at, that's how you want to look at it. Cool. He interprets the present verse as follows. God vowed that the generation of the Exodus would not enter the land of Israel alone, 
without Moses and his merit to accompany them, accompany them. But in the future, Moses will lead his generation to the redemption. Tag. I agree with two shovels because I dig it that much. And there's even a backhoe involved. <laughs> oh, which, by the way, I'm just going to throw this out there because I read this in The Legend of the Jews. <laughs> but do you, know, do you know all of our gardening tools were invented by Noah? Like before Noah, we had we 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 plowed the the land with our hands. Mm-mm-mm. So, anyways, just because you said shovel and backhoe, and I say anyway, anyway, that that was the grace movement because <laughs> Noah backwards is grace. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, okay, so we're going through all this, and, and we're talking about that the people who died in the wilderness were a part of the vow of God's anger or his, he swore in his wrath that they wouldn't enter into the land only to be annulled because the future temple is where they're going to merit entering, which is in the land. So I'm thinking about all those who have died in Mashiach underneath the premise of not entering into his rest because they were not faithful to his voice. But there is another promise that Hashem has made, and that is that the there is a temple that will be established with the return of Mashiach. And there is an opportunity for those people who died in the wilderness to actually enter into this this mish, this mishkan this mikdash that Hashem is going to bring and it's like that's an even greater like beautiful opportunity you know and it's just like to a certain extent those who have already passed on before us and they did not get to know Torah they did not get to enter into Lapid Judaism like Okay, but how far did they actually go? Did they were they truly in their hearts saying, Hashem, you know, I'm seeking you with my full heart, or Hashem, I, I see your Torah and I say, No, I don't want it, you know, but I, I'll take your son, you know, kind of thing. And it's just kind of like wherever those people really fail, the, the, the redemption is that those who truly, you know, were attached to Hashem and they literally died in Mashiach without even experiencing hearing his voice because they didn't know about it or it was concealed from them for a time. You know, it's just kind of like they have, they will have the opportunity to enter in, you know, because only Hashem knows the heart. Only Hashem knows the soul, you know. So we have no idea where the, where these people may be, but I just love how we kind of see a window of opportunity here that, you know, when we enter into uh, Judaism, we convert, we start with Lapid and observance and Yeshua. And it's just kind of like, okay, well, but what about my great grandmother or what about my cousin's daughter, sister's brother from like a hundred years ago? Or, you know, we have all these concerns and it's just like Hashem has got that. 
but you have this right now. So what are you going to do with it? Right. And then on top of that, I'm looking in Hebrews chapter three, because this same Tehillim is quoted there. And literally, if you start at verse seven, it says the Ruach HaKodesh says today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the bitter quarrel on the day in the wilderness when you put God to the test. Now, normally it says scripture, but this says Ruach HaKodesh, like. So is it the scripture or is it the Ruach or Kodesh? The answer is yes. Now, if we go down to verse 13, this really gets into it. It says, keep exhorting each other every day as long as it is called today so that none of you will become hardened by the deceit of sin. For we have become sharers in the Mashiach provided so you're only a sharer in the Mashiach if you fit this prescription you ready this is Hebrews 3 verse 14 so wait what say that again so literally you're only sharers in the Mashiach if you do this okay that you hold firmly to the conviction we began with right through until the goal is reached. What's the conviction that we began with? It is that we must be faithful to the voice of Hashem. If you go back to verse one and start reading, you know how we say every morning in the Siddur that Moshe was the most trusted of Hashem's household. Right. Verse two says that Mashiach Yeshua, he was faithful to God who appointed him just as Moshe was faithful in God's and all God's house. Yeshua deserves more honor than Moshe, just as the builder of the house deserves more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. So mm. now it just said the builder of the house is Yeshua, but the one who built everything is God. I mean, <laughs> okay. So, all that to say, if you really share in Mashiach, if you really enter into the rest of Hashem, if you really enter into the land, you have to hearken to his voice. You have to be faithful to his mitzvot. You have to make the shuva. That's right. Because, by the way, that's the only way you can get to do, that's the only way to get to the mitzvot. Is through Teshuvah. If you're not making Teshuvah and you're quote unquote fulfilling mitzvot, you're not fulfilling anything at all. Yeah, and just and to quote Ms. Rocky is like, how do you know if you're just doing mitzvot or you know and being a robot about it? I.e., like you're like you're uh, just just going through the motions, so to speak. You're like, how do, how can you tell? He says, if you're just doing the mit the, the mitzvot, it's like your your mitzvot has not changed. Ooh. So like if you're just doing it and like there's no like actual change, like you 
still getting angry or you, you're like, uh, you know, you have, a, you have a bad mouth or Ooh. you still go out to the club and go dancing or, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm mm. not trying to call anybody out, but that's, that's, I'm just quoting what he was saying. Mm. And, uh, he said, then you're just, you're just a robot who does mitzvot. He's like, if, but if you're actually like working on yourself, you're working very hard. Not that it's an easy thing to do. Not saying that any any like myself or uh, has reached this level, but just if you're not continually working on yourself, you know, then then what is it about? If you're not if you're not changing your your character traits to match those of of Hashem's and the mitzvot are, you know, you might as well not do them, you know, basically. <laughs> wow. You know, that's that's really incredible. Because if you think about it, a person who does teshuva, that's literally the biggest change that you could ever see or experience in your entire life. Like, you can literally have a person who is like completely drugged out, just, you know, uh, completely just in the, the pits, the lowest of the lows. And when that person makes Teshuva, they become sober, they become clean, they become strengthened against those former temptations, those former uh, things that uh, wrap them up into what caused them to be in that state previously. And when you're talking about making Teshuva and fulfilling the mitzvot, I mean, we're literally going from sinners to like holy ones of Hashem, like people who are being made into vessels that bear the name of Hashem. And that's like, that's incredible to really think about, you know, like if you just do the concept of toppling dishes you have this plate here that who knows what was on it or what it used to be a part of, but it goes through the waters of mikvah and now there's nothing but kosher food on it. And it's like, when we enter into the mitzvah, our own bodies, our own lives were lacking in kedushah and righteousness. And now when we make Teshuva, we begin to fill every aspect of our being with Kedushah, with Hashem, with Mashiach, with Torah, with light. And we should be a different person. There's no way that you can't be a different person if you truly have that transformation and change going on in you. Right. So if that's not happening, you know, we really have to ask ourselves the questions. Have we entered into the rest of Hashem? Or are we still quarreling before the rock? And I love how Captain Yisrael dropped this heavy from the platform today or uh, on Shabbat when he said that Rabbeinu Bakia commentary was saying that the people were upset because they could not live like the nations. Right. And it's just like the quarreling, the contention that you have with the Redeemer of Israel, with the water that Hashem provides, 
you know, everything about our life with him, you know, the quarreling against all that is rooted in the fact that you will not make teshuva, that you would not humble yourself, and that you'd rather be a person who's in charge of your own destiny and your own life. So, I don't want you to be the boss of me. Right. I don't want you to be the boss of me. You know, and it's just like, a person who's like that, even if you did mitzvot, exactly everything that you just said from Ms. Rocky's standpoint and commentary and, and things like that, and it's just like, when you really start to logically think about these things, that's like, that's intense, like such a contrast. Right. And it's not to say you have to make a complete 180 or roundabout face right then and there, but you need to take steps. Everybody takes steps. That's right. It's, it's, it's a like it's process. It really is a process. Because if you do the 180, you're going to burn and crash. Like you just, you just kind of, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so tag and I agree. Just am looking at all these footnotes now. <laughs> it says, talking about Psalm 95, it says, according to Radak, this psalm actually speaks of the Messianic age. The psalmist warns us that we need not to be like our ancestors who immediately after being redeemed from Mitzrayim tested Hashem as the following verses describe. <laughs> so if you thought this psalm was talking about the generation of Moshe or this generation, the answer is yes. Wow. Can I do a quick tag? I mean, I'm not going to stop you. Hashem. <laughs> I agree with what you just said. And I want to take a brief swerve back to a, a little uh, connect to where we were with the ro the rocks breaking and how, you know, all the rocks split and water came from all the rocks. And if you place your trust in Mashiach, you know, we will overflow rivers of living water. So the last verse in Hebrews chapter three says that you don't enter into the rest of Hashem because you're disobedient and you lack trust. Interestingly enough, it uses the same word that it uses for the trust that we're to have in Mashiach Yeshua so that we can overflow living waters, but it uses it in the negative. So, in other words, you don't enter into Hashem's rest when you are completely disconnected from Hashem. Oh, because you do not believe in me? Is that right? What he said? Right. So, you don't do the same things I do. You don't believe the same things I believe. You've literally cut off Hashem flowing in your life. Wow. So, of course, you're, man, like, okay, this is just like hitting me really crazy right now. It's just like to think about doing mitzvot, but being disconnected from Hashem. Like, what is that? By default, that's like having water come out of a spout, 
but it's actually not water. And it, it you can't taste it. You see it, but there's nothing to it. And I'm trying to think of a really good example to explain that. You know, it's like you're drinking, but you're not even drinking anything. And there was a account about um, hikers or campers who were like out in the wilderness and they wanted to have like a, a snack or dinner or something like that. And they were thinking we can just hunt, you know, whatever animals we find and eat them. And what they found was a rabbit. And they ended up, you know, eating rabbits. And the more they ate these rabbits, the more and more their bodies broke down and deteriorated to the point that they literally died of starvation. So when you're doing the mitzvot and you're disconnected from Hashem because you don't trust them Mashiach, you don't have the same emunah, the same faithfulness of Moshe, the same faithfulness of Yeshua, you're going to be doing mitzvot, but you're going to be like literally like dying. Like, not even in the good way of dying, you know, like, because we're supposed to die to ourselves until we're studied, but you're not attaining anything. You're wasting your time. So, that just kind of, that's just going off in my head right now, just like really understanding of why we're, why can we not enter into his rest? Why would you be kept outside of the land? Why would you die in the wilderness? Is because you're not connected. You're not plugged in to Hashem. And I think and that's what I'm saying. I think I think as I'm reading these Torah portions, that's kind of you know been my 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 uh, indictment upon myself. Kind of just seeing me like, oh Hashem, you know, where's the water? <laughs> But it's a reality, and that's not uh, – I say that lighthearted, but it's, it's a real thing. You know, you need to – trusting Hashem is, is, is not as easy as it sounds, but you need to come to terms with it, or we all need to come to terms with it. Oh, man. Yeah. So when we do Teshuvah, then, we're coming to terms with trusting in Hashem because we're realizing that – whatever we've been doing and whatever way we've chosen is like, it's not working out. Yep. So in order to trust Hashem, the way that we live our lives needs to be in Teshuvah. That, that and, you know, I think about the test of Abraham, you know, we we convert to Judaism or, you know, we, we start following after the rock of our salvation and, and convert because he was a Jew. And then we we think that that's kind of, that, oh, that's, the, you know, okay, man, we, we, we've, not that we've arrived, but, oh, yeah, okay, we, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, kind of got a, a checklist, but not necessarily that you that we need to go about doing it like that. I'm just saying, for lack of better terminology, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, we can't expect not to be tested 
when Abraham, the first convert, was tested, you know? Yeah. So, tests are good. <laughs> tests are good. So, speaking of tests, tag, I agree. Bear sheet 22. That was, that was a pretty big test. Yeah. And I'm talking about the Akedah. Because when Abraham is offering up Yitzhak, it's literally him offering up himself. Because had it not been for Yitzhak, Abraham would have had nothing. And that, that was his whole thing with Hashem. Like, Hashem, you can promise me the world, you can promise me everything, but it ain't going to matter because I don't have a son. Like, I have no place for this inheritance to go. So, as I was thinking about that whole picture there and what we've been talking about, trusting in Hashem, making Teshuva, if you look at Bereshit 22.18, it literally says, all the nations of the earth shall bless themselves by your descendants because you have obeyed my voice. So, I've been trying to do this thing where I'm dialing into what is the voice of Hashem that we should really be trusting and relying on. So Sephorno leads out by saying, Ekev Asher Shemata Becholi, which is because you have obeyed my voice. It says, this is a consequence of that. This is what we know as the concept of Shakar or Sakar. Mitzvah, mitzvah. That the fulfillment of one commandment begets the opportunity of fulfilling another commandment. By doing this, you will receive the satisfaction that your children will be a banner to the nations. Teachers to the, oh my goodness, teachers to the Gentile nations. They just put that in there. Say that again? I just want to hear it again, you know. It says that your children will be a banner to the nations, teachers to the Gentile nations, teachers to the Gentile nations. But I thought we weren't supposed to teach Torah to, to, to Gentiles. I, I digress. It says instructing, listen, we're teaching the Gentile nations instructing them in how to serve Hashem. All of this will accrue to you as a merit. So if we're wanting to trust and rely and hearken to the voice of Hashem, making Teshuvah, the only way to do that is to go from mitzvah to mitzvah to mitzvah to mitzvah to mitzvah. And the whole time, there is no reward per se. Like, just because I'm keeping Shabbat, I don't need to go, Hashem, my week is supposed to be blessed because I kept Shabbat. And Judaism teaches that the merit of these meals on Shabbat bring our sustenance to the other meals of the week. It's like, no, 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 no. That's the wrong frame of mind. You keeping, you're keeping Shabbat because you've made Teshuvah and you're trusting in Hashem. So now as you have kept the Shabbat, you're now going to go into more mitzvot, whether it be zitzit, whether it be tefillin, 
whether it be Torah study, you know, all these different things. Going from mitzvah to mitzvah to mitzvah is hearkening to the voice of Hashem. So there's like never a time that you're disconnecting yourself because the word mitzvah, the root of it means to connect to Hashem. So the whole thing about faith, placing your trust, you're saying, Hashem, I place my trust in you. I connect with you. That's a mitzvah. Go to the next place. I trust in you. I'm connected to you. That's a mitzvah. You know, it's just like this whole path. It's like a path of righteousness or something. So we we have to do the mitzvah. With, with the understanding that we're humbling ourselves before God. And this is this is where he is. We're we're with the rock. We are in a place near Hashem. Yeah, the Baha Torn doesn't comment on the <laughs> comment on that. But he says he says, because you have listened to my voice, the final letters of these four words. So you're talking about hearkening to the voice. Spell out the word Brit. No, you did not just do that. Covenant. Yeah. <sighs> Ishpela, you've got to stop doing this. Wow. Good night. <laughs> well, um, I don't really know what to do from here. Yeah, what do we know? What do we know? <laughs> this is what I want to say. <laughs> oh, man. Because, well, man, that was just a whole lot of good so. Barugashem. Well, uh, I've enjoyed this flight with you, and it's been just, I don't know what to do with myself right now, but, you know, I'm definitely persuaded, to say the least, that, you know, whatever Hashem has commanded us to do, that we need to be doing it without reserve. So, the beauty of us studying these Torah portions every week and growing in our faith and in growing in our midot, you know, really developing as a human being and really developing it in our spirit, you know, like Hashem has just shown himself so much that, you know, you can trust me. You can follow me. And I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. The only reason that you'd ever be disappointed with, with Hashem is if you disconnect yourself from him and try to continue to follow him. That's how you get frustrated. So to kind of end on a practical note here, if we ever come against frustrations, if we ever come against disappointments and disheartening as we're walking in the mitzvot, as we're cleaving to Mashiach, the, the thing that we need to do at that moment is to go, am I connected? Am I in Teshuvah? 
Because if you answer those questions, that'll clear everything up. Because chances are, we're probably not. So may we stay in the path, may we stay in step with him, and more importantly, may we stay connected to him. And Hashem says, I cannot be in the same place as a person who is arrogant. So if you have, if we have, I want to say we, because we can all be susceptible to this and we all are, that at any point that we feel like we've got it going on, we're doing it and it's amazing and people need to do whatever with that as far as like respect us or honor us or, you know, quote unquote, I've been handling my mitzvah keeping. Like if we ever have that attitude, we've already disconnected ourselves from Hashem. And the thing about disconnecting from Hashem is you don't feel it immediately. It happens over time. Yeah. So, I guess. Close. <laughs> I got, let me, I could, since you said that, I guess I got one thing to say. Just about, you know, if we ever do get to that point where we say, oh, I got my mitzvah keeping and I got it all locked down and, you know, whatever, I got this, you know. Right. Okay. Enter in Orchat Zadikin. Ooh, Musar? Yes. Mm. Let me find it. But basically, to paraphrase what I'm about to read here, says that you should always look at what your your actions. Says. I'll find it right now. Sleep, God. All good. Take your time, brother. Okay, while you're doing that, just because I just saw this, and we're talking about the Teshuva element and really lowering ourselves. Radak on Bear Sheet 2218 says the word Ekev. It says that seeing that the Ekev, which is also called the heel, is the lower end of the body. So the reward is what one acquires at the conclusion of performing God's mitzvot. Hmm. Okay, so I found my source. Come on. It says, the root of humility is vis-a-vis the creator. One's thinking of himself when he is yet calm and tranquil and healthy and rich, that the blessed one has given him good of which he is not worthy. He must reflect upon the greatness of the Almighty and the exaltations of his glory and think, what am I? Am I not an extremely lowly creature in a lowly, ephemeral world? 
and of all the good things I can do are nothing but a drop in the ocean relative to what I ought to do. And he must do all for the sake of heaven and not for the sake of honor and not to flatter any man for any personal pleasure, but all for the sake of his great name. This is the root of humility. And that's what we need for teshuva. That's what we need for relying on Hashem. That right there, bro, that is beautiful. Wow. Okay. Slika. All right. You there? Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. Well, I guess uh, we kind of been going for quite a bit of while, and uh, the systems are like, okay, and you're done. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not, because we got to say the closing bracha. That's right. That's right. But uh, I appreciate you sharing all these insights. And yeah. Love Joshua. Man, Brugesham. Like, I- I'm literally, like, I can't tell you just how grateful I am for everything that's being poured out on us. You know, I was driving home from Habdallah and I was just kind of like in La La Land, you know, because I'm like, <laughs> what just happened? You know, like Shabbat, like drashing, like singing and eating and just like yeah. just a little bit of sleeping. <laughs> and it's just, it's just like, but the amount of understanding illumination opportunities for growth for us i mean wow hashem like truly hallelujah hallelujah so i thank you for being a part of that and um i've enjoyed doing this josh and uh yeah likewise man i mean it's uh you know i learned so much from other people uh, yourself, Hasis, and you know the Zeganim Rabbi. You know, Come on. just uh, you know, I, I always, I always just kind of think that like, like man, you know, I, not not that I, I wish I knew what they knew, but just they got, you know, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing whenever everybody gets together and they share their piece of the fabric of the the. the uh, the beautiful tapestry of Torah, you know? Amen. That's what it is. It's a tapestry. So all of us just be loading up and just, you know, letting it go. <laughs> Amen. Can so you what, eat up? Amen. So what do we know? What do we know? know? No. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet, Vechaye Olam Natabet Okeinu, Baruch Atah Adonai, Noten HaTorah, Amen. Well, Amen, Shavuot Tov, Ishbuah, Laila Tov, and Laila Tov. Amen. Shalom. Shalom.